Part One of Fort Concho, Its Why and Wherefore, by J. N. Gregory. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, that brought to a close the war between the United States and Mexico, February 2, 1848, and the subsequent Gadsden Purchase of 1853, set the plan for the present boundaries between the two countries a vast area of plains deserts and mountains an unmapped and untraveled wilderness was now owned by the northern republic it was inhabited mostly by comanche apache kiowa and other warlike indian tribes and it stretched from the settlements of south and east texas and from the lower missouri river area to the new american settlements on the pacific coast great events were in the making when in california in eighteen forty eight gold nuggets were found in the tail race of sutter's mill the word passed around quickly and the first modern international gold rush was on it put the first sizable amounts of precious metals into the coffers of the nations of the world since the spanish conquistadores ransacked the treasure houses of peru and mexico it brought about modern mining practices and before the end of the century the search for gold was so international and intense that comparable strikes had been made in south africa australia canada and alaska resulting in fresh redistribution of populations not only in the united states but also in other portions of the world the problems accompanying such redistribution were plentiful and they are still plaguing us to this day but the lure that led men to our west was not gold alone the eldorado of man's dreams be it a gold vein oil patch store on main street cattle ranch or farm in peaceful valley can very well lie in any new and unexplored lands so it was then few men could afford for themselves families and belongings the cost of passage by sailing ship around the horn or by portage at the isthmus of panama from boston new york charleston new orleans galveston or indianola to san francisco besides that a fellow who was bent on making a trip liked to look over the country lying between home and his proposed destination so many found their el dorado not on the pacific coast but along the trails between the great river and the pacific ocean the inhabitants of the crowded east and the folks of the south felt their race-old urge to get on the move towards more freedom and opportunity old windy horace greeley was soon to advise go west young man so go west they did young and old first by small companies on horseback or in buckboards then later by trains of covered wagons which carried their families and all earthly possessions grouped together for companionship as well as for protection against the indians population movements in the united states have generally gone from east to west in parallel lines once the atlantic seaboard was settled and so this great gold movement from east to west brought settlement of the intermediate lands between the mississippi river and the pacific ocean by the natural contrasting types of north-south peoples the great oregon and santa fe trails service the people of the more northerly parts of our country but for those in the southern parts a newer trail had to be found and by simple geography it had to cross texas you could enter the state from the sea at galveston indianola or corpus christi or by way of the land through fort smith and arkansas thence across the indian territory to the red river 
or directly from louisiana through the fairly well settled and organized counties of east texas but no matter how you entered there was only one way to get out and so all trails converged on the paso del norte present el paso to get out of texas south of el paso would land you in mexico to get out north of el paso would take you across the llano estacado which in those days was considered a vast treeless plain unbroken by any topographic changes and completely devoid of waterholes the accompanying map published in eighteen fifty six in yoakum's history of texas shows clearly the political subdivisions and settlements of texas in those times a substantial part of the state from the panhandle to the upper rio grande appears to be completely uninhabited and therefore politically unorganized in a vague manner this vast area might be assumed to be an unannexed portion of the counties of bexar el paso presidio and travis this map does not speak approvingly of the llano estacado staked plains some called it from eighteen forty eight on to the recent past various trail drivers army officers and railroaders laid out trails from the settled parts of texas to the paso del norte always taking advantage of springs and waterholes and avoiding the llano estacado and the great limestone canyons of the rio grande and its tributaries that is all did but the builders of the southern pacific railroad they came later but yet too early to have the know-how of an arthur edward stillwell but that is another story a north-south trade route had existed for some two hundred years connecting spanish santa fe far north toward the headwaters of the rio grande south through the paso del norte to the settlements of the mother country of mexico the santa fe trail extended to california would cross this trade route at santa fe well up in the rocky mountains while the route through texas would cross it at el paso and so these two places became the supply dumps where the great wagon trains took on horses mules beef and other supplies that would see them across the final leg of the journey west it was a great opportunity for traders who had the supplies to sell and the procuring middleman the one who contacted both producer and merchant was a man with great savvy and ability known as the comanche indian the comanche despised walking it was not adaptable to his method of making a living he was a plains indian and somewhere back in the sixteenth or seventeenth century had somehow accumulated his first mustangs from offsprings of those horses lost by the conquistadors from spain prior to the arrival of the spaniards in america there were no horses as we recognize them now on either of the american continents now the comanche as a mounted man probably roamed the great plains from present wyoming to durango mexico it was easy to make a living on such a range it abounded in buffalo and the wise comanche knew all the water holes he drove the wily apaches to the south until they crossed the rio grande and settled in a quasi-peaceful manner in mexico or later chose arizona and new mexico and preyed on the settlers immigrants and prospectors from the records the comanche does not appear to have been a breeder of horses cattle or sheep but as a procurer of such livestock he had no peer many years before lewis and clark were sent to evaluate the northwestern part of the louisiana purchase lands that mr jefferson had bought from napoleon bonaparte in eighteen o three 
the comanche had learned to find his greatest pleasure and profit during his daring raids into the settlements of mexico raiding in great force as far as south as the cities of chihuahua and durango the emotional inspiration for such forays on peaceful people was regarded as pure cussedness but a more profound study shows that the trophies of such raids excepting the scalps taken were horses cattle sheep and slaves many of the stolen horses were for the comanche's personal use because it took many animals to make the great raid during the mexican moon the balance of the trophies was used for barter years before the purchase of eighteen o three he was trading his stolen stock and possibly his slaves to the french traders from the spanish french border near old nacotish pronounced nacotish on the lower red river or in later times upon return from a successful raid he roared out of mexico and across the rio grande into texas south of the chisos mountains if short of war paint he replenished his favorite red color from the outcroppings of cinnabar near terlingua creek then headed through the badlands and out upon the range country by way of persimmon gap from the gap he went to comanche springs present fort stockton crossed the pecos river at horsehead crossing then rode north to the sand dunes to water a famishing flock after which he headed east to the sulphur and the big spring then he turned northward around the camp rock that marks the eastern extremity of the terrible llano estacado to proceed on north until he actually scrambled out upon the plateau then he proceeded towards santa fe to meet somewhere possibly at casa amarillas in that then desolate region the comancheros or middlemen between himself and the mexican settlers of the upper rio grande valley near santa fe footnote one comancheros renegade mexicans half-breeds and outlaw americans who lived in mexican settlements in new mexico from whence they traveled in small bands usually by wagon or ox-cart to the llano estacado where they met the comanches kiowas or other indians and traded guns ammunition whiskey and other desirable items for the products of the raids robert t neal san angelo texas End footnote he traded his trophies to the comancheros for guns ammunition or other less practical adjuncts that might suit his fancy of the moment his mexican moon was then over and he returned to his portable village which he had left in some watered canyon that cut down eastward from the llano estacado the route as followed by these indians was a well-marked trail and during the time of our westward migration it was well known and appears on the maps of the times another route into mexico broke off the western trail at the big spring and ran down the valley of the north concho river across the edwards plateau then through the passes of the balconies escarpment to cross the rio grande into mexico near the present city of eagle pass mr ebbets haley refers to these trails as the great comanche war trail and gives a wonderful description of the activity on them in his recent book fort concho and the texas frontier an old map from the army files in the national archives calls the western branch the grand comanche war trail but call the trails what you may they were still a stiff pain in the neck to anyone crossing them and for the wagon trains and cattle herds going west crossing was inevitable 
the greater raids into mexico appeared to have occurred rather regularly in september when the weather was most favorable and the chief objectives could be struck during the light of a full moon thus to the unhappy but fully expectant mexicans the september full moon was known as the comanche moon at this time mars the red god of war hangs low and molten in the late summer night sky and reflects a light that is as red as the sand and clay soils of the indian territory another favorite trick of these versatile middlemen was to raid the settlements down the rio grande valley south from santa fe and drive off the stock to a rendezvous with the comancheros who in turn traded them to unknowing mexican settlers at other points on the river during such raids it was deemed ethical but unprofitable to kill the settlers since without them there would be no stock to drive off in a later raid besides these mexican settlers did not seriously molest the buffalo such business sagacity however did not apply in later times to the republic of texas where each succeeding year saw new settlers break ground and homestead farther up the river valleys whose streams had their origins in the motherland plains of the comanche and kiowa after its establishment in eighteen thirty six the infant republic found itself fighting a hot war on two fronts the settlers near the rio grande from del rio to the mouth of that river near brownsville suffered from raids out of mexico by both mexicans and indians while the northern prongs of the new settlements were exposed to the comanches and kiowas it was a bitter struggle fought generally in small isolated settlements where the determined anglo-saxon fought for his new home against an equally determined indian fighting to preserve his ancient homeland and range a saxon scalp decorating a comanche's war-shield might be avenged by an indian's entire skin decorating a rude barn door matters were better controlled after the annexation of texas by the united states and after the close of the mexican war but it took manpower and supplies to do it something the new republic had been slow in acquiring the treaty of guadalupe hidalgo provided among other things that the united states would make every effort to keep the indians from raiding into mexico so in about eighteen forty nine the united states army mostly cavalry and mounted infantrymen dragoons moved into texas they proceeded to establish a string of forts and camps from previously established brown near the mouth of the rio grande to duncan near eagle pass for the upper rio grande in texas they set up what was later to be fort bliss el paso as a northern line of defense for the settlers they established starting with fort duncan the forts of lincoln donis martin scott fredericksburg grogan burnett gates gatesville graham hillsboro and worth fort worth only a few of the forts were ever protected by stockades the war was one of movement the places were supposed to be strategically located and manned by several companies of cavalry and some infantry places from where punitive expeditions could set out establish supply bases and then try to run down the indian raiders the standing army of the united states during the eighteen fifties was numbered at about fifteen thousand men and the personnel of the texas forts accounted for about from one-fifth to one-third of that number 
Many of the officers and men were veterans of the Mexican War, the forts usually being named in honor of American soldiers who lost their lives in that war. Many Civil War leaders, both Confederate and Union, received much field training from 1849 to the outbreak of that war in 1861, building and manning the forts, chasing but seldom catching the Indians, guarding the wagon trains and mail bags, and exploring the wilderness for better trails and water holes. There is a record, one of many, left by the famous Captain Jack Hayes of the Texas Rangers. It tells how he was hired by certain merchants of San Antonio who were anxious to trade with the merchants of Chihuahua, Mexico. His assignment was to find in 1848 a route from San Antonio to privately owned Fort Leeton, where the Conchos River of Mexico meets the Rio Grande, and from which point to Chihuahua the going would be reasonably good. Hayes and his mounted company of frontiersmen managed to make it to Leeton and back to San Antonio, but they found the going so rough that the journey took them three and one-half months. Present Southern Pacific Railway west to Alpine. There were too many deep canyons along the tributaries of the Rio Grande. The decade following 1849 was most active. The Army detachments under capable officers explored to find routes from East Texas and from San Antonio to El Paso. But the wagon trains did not wait for their findings. They often made their own way and did their well-known creditable job. Mr. Jefferson Davis, Secretary of War, and himself a distinguished veteran of the Mexican War, did about all in his power to aid the new state of Texas, the Mexican settlements, and the immigrant trains. He made treaties with the Indians and arranged reservations for them. This latter deal was not too successful. Friendly East Texas Indians almost starved on the reservations, and the more warlike Plains Indians had no idea of staying there even when they agreed to move in. The old men's tales of conquest and horse-stealing were more than the young bucks could take. Mr. Davis built new forts, and recognizing the great problems of communications that existed between such far-flung positions, sought to remedy those by importing, in 1856, through the seaport of Indianola, camels and their Arabian drivers. The camels were concentrated at Camp Verde in southern Kerr County, and breeding and testing immediately proceeded at a good pace. Tests for their strength and endurance carried the caravans across the Continental Divide and back, and the results were very gratifying. The Civil War put an end to the experiments. The last camel herd, before final sellouts to the carnivals, was privately owned near Austin in the early 1880s. By the time the Civil War broke out in 1861, the War Department had finally followed the advice of such able soldiers as Joe Johnston and Chase Whiting. The forts received a new alignment and were manned mostly by cavalry. Supplies were sent in, as before, from bases like San Antonio. The wagons, pulled by oxen or mules, were well guarded in most instances by soldiers. The contracts for furnishing the supplies and their transportation were let to civilians. The new alignment caused the abandonment of some interior forts and camps. The line on the lower Rio Grande was extended up the river by building Fort Hudson near the Devil's River, about thirty miles north of San Felipe. Out in far western Texas they built Fort Quitman down the river from El Paso. 
several things were done to discourage the comanche and kiowa whose depredations along the grand war trail had been greatly stepped up the war department flanked the trail on the west by the building of a sizable establishment in a beautiful and romantic spot in the davis mountains and named it fort davis in honor of the secretary near this spot more than three hundred years before had passed the shipwreck unhorsed and enslaved but still valiant spaniard cabeza de baca he would later write in his report to his viceroy describing his journey after leaving the great arid plains to the north of a valley through which flowed limpid waters footnote two perhaps this was limpia creek dr r t hill End footnote. after fort davis the department unveiled fort lancaster western crockett county as a flanker to the east of the trail it was cosily situated in the mesas not far from the pecos river and beside live oak creek that flows delightful spring water then the war department built fort stockton pecos county smack in the middle of the grand trail and right beside the best spring water on its entire route now to further protect immigrants and mail bags on the route west and to protect settlers of central and northern texas who were still moving higher up the river valleys it set up fort chadbourne as a pivot between the new western line and the lower rio grande valley line from fort chadbourne on northeasterly to the indian territory were forts phantom hill abilene and belknap new castle but chadbourne was a near miss because it was not well located and its water supply was not adequate however not until the civil war was over was it finally abandoned in eighteen sixty seven and a new site chosen for its replacement at the confluence of the north south and middle concho rivers this new position would be called fort concho and here eventually would be built the city of san angelo as the decade preceding the outbreak of the civil war was closing the great wagon trails from san antonio and east texas to el paso must have been a sight to behold most of them converged on castle gap and the horsehead crossing of the pecos river from where they had a choice of two routes to el paso the california overland mail butterfield overland mail two thousand seven hundred and ninety five miles from st louis to san francisco entered texas by way of fort smith arkansas followed the line of forts southwesterly to the middle concho river then turned westerly up that valley then through castle gap to horsehead crossing from here the early route followed up the pecos river to pope's crossing near the present red bluff reservoir thence westward to el paso by way of delaware creek and waco tanks a more southerly route from horsehead crossing was probably a better choice it went from the crossing direct to fort stockton leon springs toyavale fort davis thence to van horn's well and el paso it also had the advantage of servicing the westerly line of forts the original run over this new mail route to california was made in eighteen fifty eight and the new york herald sent a special news correspondent one w l ormsby to be a through passenger on the mule-drawn coach so that he could report the trip the poor fellow was only twenty-three years old but age being in his favor he lived through it all 
His description of the trail from between the upper water holes of the Middle Concho River, near present Stiles, to Castle Gap and the Horsehead Crossing is most illuminating. Quote, strewn along the road and far as the eye could reach along the plain decayed and decaying animals the bones of cattle and sometimes of men the hide drying on the skin in the arid atmosphere all told a fearful story of anguish and terrific death from the pangs of thirst for miles and miles these bones strew the plain it appears from this on-the-spot observation that the trails across level plains country were very wide the wagon trains did not move in single file that would expose them too much to indian attacks and besides the longer the line the worse the dust the old wagon wheel ruts still noticeable to this day along the route described above by ormsby cover a wide area on the plains east of castle gap before they converge on that narrow pass these can be seen west of the china ponds where they move westerly about three miles south of the land grants known as the alphabet blocks given later by the state of texas to the corpus christi san diego and rio grande narrow gauge railroad try painting that one on a narrow gauge box car during eighteen fifty eight and eighteen fifty nine captain earl van dorn soon to be a member of the confederate high command vigorously carried the war to the indians and pushed them north back across the red river they didn't remain there long texas seceded from the union in eighteen sixty one and the federal soldiers marched out of the forts and left them to the confederate forces again the proper manpower was lacking some forts were abandoned so as to shorten the defense line and some of these as at lancaster were burned by the indians the indians now spurred on by union agents carried on a still more bloody and aggressive warfare on the texas frontier confederates and ranger companies coupled with frontiersmen reacted promptly and vigorously but it was a long line of defense from the red river to the rio grande defend it they did against the indians and against lawless elements such as deserters and other renegade hostile union sympathizers and border ruffians from without the state the negro slave was emancipated by proclamation in texas on june nineteenth eighteen sixty five juneteenth about two months after general lee surrendered the army of northern virginia at appomattox courthouse footnote three on june nineteenth eighteen sixty five major general gordon granger u s army landed at galveston and issued a general order declaring that in accordance with a proclamation from the executive of the united states all slaves are free End footnote. the last land battle of the civil war was fought on may thirteenth eighteen sixty five in cameron county texas when invading federal forces were routed near brownsville that engagement is known as the battle of palmito ranch End part one.